0: Now, good morning, everyone. Scott, is this good? Okay, thanks. Scott always critiques me for the clothes that I wear and for the way I use my hands. I might be Italian, I don't know. But uh, I just want to thank you for joining us this morning, whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us online. Thanks for spending some time worshiping with us uh, this week and here at Life. Um, This week and next week, we're doing a mini-series called uh, Holy Spirit, and uh, it's only two weeks So there's a lot to talk about uh, with the Holy Spirit, and we're not going to be able to to open up everything, let alone maybe even scratch the surface. Um, But I would encourage you throughout these next two weeks to really dive in on your own time with God and studying uh, who the Holy Spirit is and and what changes uh, with living with the Holy Spirit. And so this week and next week, we'll kind of open up a few, I think, important reasons why the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit has changed our lives. Um, And so we're going to get right into it today, but uh, quickly before we begin, if you've seen people wearing these amazing Grace t shirts around, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm alive today. I should have been uh, crippled today because of how badly my legs hurt, but Rayanne let me be alive to share the message. But we had a um, workout competition that was a fundraiser for the Cancer Services of Huntington, uh, and we raised $1,600 for the Cancer Services of Huntington. Yeah. So uh, 17 teams of people and plenty of volunteers all contributed to that to give back to the community, and that happened through Champs, one of our businesses' permission, so we're excited uh, for that opportunity and for what God's providing, and you can see more about that on social media. There will be a highlight video shared throughout the week. You can check out. All right, Holy Spirit, so what are we going to talk about? Well, I think to kind of frame where we're going these next two weeks, it's big for us to understand that there are things the Holy Spirit is not, and there are things the Holy Spirit is. Uh, and there's a lot of misconceptions in the church, and sadly taught within the church about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to briefly lay some foundational thoughts for us. I'll only be able to touch the surface, and again, I hope that you go study and learn more about this on your own or in your groups, because uh, I know this is a challenging topic. But here's, here's where we'll start. Here's who the Holy Spirit is not. He is not just the set of spiritual gifts you were given in the New Testament. He is not just a miracle worker. He is not just the power that you get to use for your own benefit and call upon. And the Holy Spirit, I think most importantly, is not an it. Our relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit, I I feel, is formed by how we know him. And I think most of the time, if we don't have an understanding of him, we refer to him as an it or a force. But think about this. You would never call Jesus an it. You would never call God the Father it. Likewise, you should not call the Holy Spirit it because he's not an it, he's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are three persons in one being. That's the God that we serve, the triune God. So understanding that he's a person helps us to understand our relationship with him. Now, here's the, here's the struggle. We can understand a father and a son because of the physical relationships we have here on earth, right? Like whether you are a father or a son or have a father or a son or don't, you can see a physical relationship and kind of understand how to interact with those two persons of the Trinity. But how do you interact with someone that you can't see, someone you can't touch, someone you can't feel? How do you, how do you interact with the invisible, right? Because the Holy Spirit is a person of God. And that should change our relationship with him, knowing who he is, and that's what we're going to kind of walk through today. We're going to start in Genesis. We'll kind of talk about very briefly the Old Testament and Pentecost, and we'll end up landing later in Acts chapter 5. Uh, So if you want to tab Acts chapter 5, you can. Uh, But as we begin today, I want us to understand that you have the ability to have a relationship with all three persons of God, and it's important for us to establish that relationship from uh, the beginning. And so this, if you read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, it'll also be on your screens. There it is. All right, so Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, if you want to do your own word study, you can, but in in this passage of scripture the term spirit is ruach in hebrew which means wind breath or spirit the spirit of god in this form hovering over all things before the beginning of creation so understand the holy spirit is not just something that jesus gave you the holy spirit existed because he is god before all of creation and he was there before things were brought into existence Now, if he's wind, breath, or spirit, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 also says this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now, if God is in this form and he breathes life into creation, we have to remember this. We are all, every single person is made in the image of God. Whether you accept that or not, we are all made in his image. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit's also the sustainer of all life. So every single breath that every person breathes is an act of sovereignty of God. He sustains life as we know it because he breathed breath into all of humanity. Well, this is where we find our first problem. We have a creator. We are the created And immediately after being created and having the very breath of God breathed into our nostrils, what do we read about Genesis chapter 3? We rebelled. Sin, the fall, it enters into the world. Creation rebels against the creator. And guess what? We have to be made completely new in order for that relationship to be stored, restored. Made completely new right from the beginning. But part of God's divine plan is he already knew this and he already knew the solution. As we see it unfold today, I want us to remember the God in the beginning is the God of today, is the God of all eternity. But look at the relationship we have now. In the Old Testament, if you go back and do a study, God dwelled with his people, right? Like he was with the nations. He drove out the nations before Israel. He was with the Israelites. You see all the things that he does with the Israelites, But he never permanently indwelled people. He was with his people. Now, there are instances like Saul where the Holy Spirit was within Saul but then also withdrew himself from Saul. Now, we have the same God then as we do today. The difference is the Holy Spirit's location of dwelling has changed because of what Jesus has done for us. So, knowing that this relationship changes, you now are no longer just living with God if you are a believer, God, the Holy Spirit, is living within you. You are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus is on the cross and he's dying to fix the relationship problem, his blood poured out, his death, his resurrection, his ascending into the Father is coming again, understand that you were offered the ability to now be the temple of God. Like that's a big deal. When the temple veil tore and the Holy Spirit poured out through Acts 2 amongst his people, no longer was it just one person who had access to God, but everyone who believes now has direct access to God because he lives within you. The same God who created things out of nothing, the same God that breathed life into Jesus' dead body and brought him back to life is living within you. It's incredible. Here's the problem, though. A lot of us don't know what to do with that. Or we expect a certain result when we are using the Holy Spirit or walking with the Holy Spirit. But how do you actually live in a relationship with the Holy Spirit and understanding who he is and what he does? So again, as we go into Acts chapter 5, I want us to kind of have that that background. The Holy Spirit was once with people. Now he's within people. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happened. Jesus promised the disciples, I will send you my helper, the advocate, to be with you, comforter. If you wait here in Jerusalem, I will send him to you so you can be witnesses to the ends of the earth, okay? There's a promise. Pentecost, Jesus gives his disciples who are now called apostles, the Holy Spirit, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. So now, everything that we know of, that the apostles go through, it's it's unfolding. We find them in Jerusalem here at the beginning of Acts chapter five. And the first thing that happens is they're out witnessing, they're out sharing the gospel message, and they're put into prison right away. Wait, I thought we were given, you know, your Holy Spirit's supposed to guide us, and so thrown right into prison. Well, interestingly enough, if you read the beginning of Acts chapter five, you also read, about halfway through actually, you also read that even though they were in prison, the guards don't understand how this happened because it wasn't man. The apostles were all released from prison. They go right back into the temple courts and they begin witnessing and and sharing the gospel and evangelizing again. Well, here's where we pick up Acts chapter five is we're gonna see the Sanhedrin, like the leadership of the Jews, the Pharisees. They're gonna recognize what just happened. They're calling the apostles into them and they're setting them before this kind of like trial because their whole role was to hold accountable the Jewish faith. And here's people proclaiming a Messiah that the Jews rejected. And so they're going to stand before this council, and I want us to put ourselves uh, in these shoes as we talk about this today. So it's going to be Acts 5, verse 27 is where we're going to start, and we're going to read all the way through. So Acts 5, verse 27 says this, And when they had brought them, they they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Okay, big story, a lot of meaning but I want us to first reflect on this because this is not the point, but I think it's something that's relevant for us today. It says that when they went before the council, the first thing the council charged them with is why are you preaching in this man's name and why are you trying to put this man's blood upon us? Notice what they're not saying, the name of Jesus. You see, people who reject Jesus don't have a need to say his name. Think about how devaluing that is as a person for people to talk about you, but not even to give you a name. And they're like, that man? I find this interesting too, because when Jesus was standing uh, before the Jews, uh, when Pilate said, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? They said, we want Barabbas. They said, crucify him. And Pilate washed his hands of the blood, or washed his hands, he says, this man's blood is not on me. And here, the Jews are like, You're trying to put this man's blood on us when they were the ones who chose him. (laughs) And Peter's like, yeah, well, you killed him. But notice this. They're not using Jesus' name here. As Christians, we're called to use the name of Jesus, do things in the name of Jesus. But when, and put yourself here, whatever that is, it's not necessarily persecution, but you're at work, you're at school, you're with a group of friends, you're with family, and you know that bringing up the name of Jesus is going to cause tension, or people don't want to hear it. But naturally, Christians, today, what we do, we don't speak about it because we'd rather be comfortable with the people that we're around than standing on what we believe in. We hit mute on what the Holy Spirit's doing because we would rather have the relationship than have to witness and put that Put that name out there. My question, I'm not saying you will or you do, but this is just a challenge or a conviction. If you're not going to speak the name of Jesus, then why don't you just reject him like everybody else does who doesn't use his name? If you believe, you would use his name. But there's a reason that people don't speak the name of Jesus and they refuse to accept the truth. But as believers, we're called to stand firm wherever you're at and whatever opposition to speak the name of Jesus. Now, here's the other thing. When they went in, Peter and the apostles weren't rowdy. They weren't wild. They weren't hooping and hollering. They weren't defensive. They walked into the Sanhedrin and just talked. They'd been jailed. They'd been imprisoned already. They weren't defensive about sharing the good news. They were like, this is what We know. We watched it, we witnessed it. This is what happened. You don't have to go into witnessing or sharing your faith by shoving the Bible down people's throats or saying, well, because you suppressed here, I'm gonna be louder over here. They weren't pleading and saying, well, please just let us. They just stood on the truth and they trusted God with the rest, right? So now if you go down into verse 29 through 32, It says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. That's in verse 29. Verse 30 says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things in the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. There's this idea that when you share the gospel, people have to say yes. American Christianity, we're focused more on people that will raise their hand when you talk to them rather than genuine salvation. If you look back at these words, it kind of blends in, but it's right there. Peter and the apostles say the gospel to the entire Sanhedrin, which is funny to me because they were told not to do it out there, so they just brought it inside and said it anyway right before the Sanhedrin, right before Gamaliel. And by the way, Gamaliel was supposed to be Paul's teacher who would later come to his faith. So so the the apostles are inside and they say, well, you killed Jesus, that's his name, on a tree. And he died and he's actually been exalted to the right hand of the Father. And he offers repentance and forgiveness for Israel. We watched it. And guess who else watched it? The Holy Spirit, who was a witness of that. Do you understand the connection of the Holy Spirit? You did not see, you and I, did not see Jesus suffer, die on the cross, resurrect. But as you believe, you are given the very witness to all of that, to share the message. Dwelling within you, there's a relationship. There's a relationship with the Holy Spirit that would say, You don't know what to say. Guess what? He lives within you now. Share that. If he's living within you, he's also transformed your life. You're made a whole new creation. So you can be a witness to the ends of the earth. So if you don't know where to start, start with understanding who it is that's living within you. This is where opposition happens. This is where it becomes hard. This is where the testing of your faith happens. If you've ever shared your faith with someone, it can be challenging like we're called to be witnesses, but what does that really mean? If you've ever shared your faith with someone and it's, and it's not going well, you remember that. You also remember and rejoice when people have said yes. So I want to share a story with all of you that was near and dear to my family, and this was kind of the beginning of my faith journey and my wife's faith journey. So we lived in California for a while when I was in the military. Uh, we weren't churchgoers, no church background. Um, but we had really close friends out there, like a lot of close friends. And they were the type of friends that we had. It was a husband and a wife. Uh, At the time, they were just boyfriend, girlfriend. And my wife worked with uh, the girlfriend. And they were those friends that, like, you didn't have to ask about what you were doing for the weekend. They were just there on Friday night. They're like, what are we doing? Like, where are we going? They were really close with us. We walked stride, step and step. Whatever we did in life, we just, we did it together. But My wife and I, when we got married then, we always knew we wanted to be in church. No clue what that meant. No clue what that looked like. It just seemed like it was the right thing to do. Mike marries us, we still don't go to church. It's not Mike's fault. But we get married and we understand like we need to set a foundation in our life. We start going to church, we never leave, and we start seeing God literally transforming us before our own eyes. And we look to our closest friends, I'll never forget this. I knew if, if I was made new, I was to share my faith with other people and to, and to be a witness to others. So the boyfriend ended up uh, becoming a really good friend of mine. They got engaged and we were at their engagement party. And that's not really the place you want to witness, I guess. Like, you, hey, forget about you. I got to tell you guys something really quick. I'm not saying to do that. But just through chatting with him through that night. I was like, hey man, like I'm so excited for your future. I, like, I, I love you guys dearly. What do you, you know, what are you guys' thoughts about, like, you know, church in the future? Like, when you get married, like, this is what we did. We started going to church. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. And this is what he's offered for everyone. Is that something you guys would be interested in? And he's like, dude, I want that for my family. I'm like, heck yeah. My best friend, I just witnessed, he was like, yes, let's do it. He's all in. And I'm like, all right, that was super easy. That was the first time I ever really shared my faith. And I was like, all right, that's fine. Well... The wife was not on board, and this was my wife's best friend, and I'll never forget one day we were kind of praying about, well, maybe you go talk to her. Go talk to her about where she's at. We don't know where she's at, so I'll never forget. My wife sets up like an intentional time. She's like, I'm going to go over to their apartment. I'm going to talk with her. I'm just going to share because what do I have to lose? I was like, yeah, you're right. Erica walks in the front door of our house, and she goes, "Uh, that did not go well. Just like, I'm like, you all right? She's like, no. My best friend rejects God. My best friend denies that God could be real if bad things happen in this world. Just absolutely tore her heart up. And it hurt me to watch my wife hurt because she was rejected and I was like, well, it was easy for me. So I remember we went to the dog park with our dogs. That was like our hobby. And we called our pastor at the time and I was like, dude, you told me that scripture says this and we did it and it just completely went to crap. He was like, yeah, I know. Like, that happens. I'm like, no, no, no. But you don't understand, like, she just rejected God and we're best friends. He was like, yeah, that's gonna happen. I'm like, why? I thought the Holy Spirit's supposed to open the eyes of people and, and as we're in relationship with them, we would see them say yes because they've seen what's happening in our life. And he was like, yeah, he might, he will. If he wants to, he will. I was like, oh, this ate us up. See, they're still our close friends, but there was a wedge driven in our relationship from that day forward. We still hung out, but we always remembered if we talked about Jesus, would they still want to be around us? Can anybody relate to this? I don't know, maybe it's just me, but when you're with people, we naturally feel like, well, I know that's a hot topic, so why bring it up? Because I want to see him saved, but I'm not going to talk about it. We have to understand the only way people are going to know Jesus is through sharing the gospel. They cannot hear unless they have heard. They cannot know unless they have heard. You can read Romans 10. People have to physically hear the gospel message in order to be saved. And here we are thinking, well, it's not going to be us. We shouldn't talk about it. So then what? So fast forward to last week, I broke my car. And um, I'll transition this in just a second. So I'm an idiot, car illiterate. And uh, I was like gonna pump up our tires one day because my wife was taking our daughter to school. I take the cap off, it doesn't come off. I unscrew it, it just snaps the whole thing and the tire goes. It ended up happening on two tires, but that's a different story. So I'm like, again, I don't know what I'm doing. I call my buddy, which is the husband. They're in California still. And we are, our relationship, obviously, from coming back to Indiana, like kind of fizzled out a little. But like, I still reached out. I was like, I still miss you, man. Like, we joke about golf and talk about sports and just kind of kept in touch, but definitely not the same. Because I remember that wedge was there. The seed was there, and it was just driving us further away from one another. Well, I'm on the phone with him, and he is like a lead mechanic for my exact car. That's why I bought the car, because when I had him, it was really easy. He could take care of everything. So I'm like, hey, dude, uh, I'm an idiot. Can you help me fix it? He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Walks me through it. Five minute, $5 fix that I needed, really. Ended up being more because I broke stuff, but (laughs) on me. I don't listen a lot. My wife will bear witness to that. But I remember, he goes, hey, I'm glad you called. I'm like, okay. Like, we start talking. He's like, dude, our life has been plagued. Since you guys have been gone, it's not been the same. Like we literally feel like we're missing a piece of us because we, I mean, we were that close. They had a daughter who's the same age as our daughter. They had a set of twins who's the same age as our son. And we were, uh, we were just inseparable. Well, one of their sons has an issue with his brain and his skull developing at different rates. I don't really know how to explain it or what it's called, but it can be deadly. And so we had to have operations when he was a one-year-old. He might not have even been one. Had to have mul- multiple operations to, to save him and to allow him to, to develop That'll test anybody, right? Not only that, but then his daughter and the other twin were hospitalized near death because of a lung infection or some lung disorder that they had had. He's like, and I'm not joking you when I say I watched my kids thinking they were going to die, all three of them. And I remember when Eric and I were talking back in California, I said, I think the only thing that's ever gonna happen is God's gonna shake them, put them on their knees if they're ever gonna believe. Because we've said it, I don't know what else to do. Well, this happens. It racks up two point something odd million dollars of medical bills. And he tells me, just kind of casually, but you know, man, I've been staying grounded in the word, I've been going to church, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You what? I literally was like, uh, I don't know what to do. And he's like, yeah, man, like, and I saw, I went back, and I looked, and he had actually been, like, going to a church that I was affiliated with, and like, his, literally, his life has been transformed by Jesus. And he, he literally was like, Jesus is the only reason we got through. And by everything that he did and putting our faith in him, he's transformed me. He's transforming our, our, fam- our family. I was like, it worked. Wasn't me. Was not me. He said, but you're never going to believe this. He was like, my wife's going, too. She's, a, yeah. Like. I I didn't bawl like a baby but I like I was sitting in the garage at my tires that are and my like tears are just running out of my eyes I'm like holy crap I ran inside and I was like Erica like she's going to church she's all in This is a person who never wanted to step into church who said I don't trust it I don't the first week they walked into a sermon and they talked about relationships versus religion and she was like well that makes a lot of sense like he said, they've been going every Sunday and she's giving her life to Jesus because of what's happened. And it's not because of me. None of that. I did my part. Erica did her part. God was preparing both of us in that. Because, I mean, where we've gone in our faith has been, you can't even explain it. But just like they said here, when you share your faith with someone, there's opposition sometimes. The Sanhedrin was furious. They were angered to the point that they wanted to kill the apostles for what they were speaking in, for talking about Jesus, not forcing it, not making people do anything crazy, for just speaking about Jesus. And just like Erica, when she went to her very best friend and she spoke about Jesus, tension. But do you know the other thing Gamaliel says in this passage? Theudos rose up, Judas the Galilean rose up, and if it's an act of man, it will fall apart. If you try to do things on your own, it will fall apart. But notice what else he says. If this is an act of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. I'm here to tell you 2,000 years later, not overthrown. So whose plan is it to see souls saved? Whose plan is it to see lives transformed? Whose job is that? It's not my job. The Spirit of God living within me will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. My job is to be a vessel for him. We're so focused in the church today on results. We're so focused on when I, when I go to that person I love the most, I want them to hear the gospel. I'm gonna keep talking about it, and I'm gonna keep you know, meeting with them, and it's the only thing I'm ever gonna talk about until they say yes not wrong but it's not about the outcome your job is to stand in the truth and present the truth the person has to accept the message God sorts out the rest the hardest advice I was ever given especially through that time and still to this day that you will never change anybody and you will never change their minds all you can do is bear witness to the God that you know that lives within you, to share to the ends of the world who Jesus Christ is and what he offers because every single one of us deserves hell. And every single one of us was redeemed by the blood of a savior who gave us the ability to have the Holy Spirit of God who breathed the breath of life into us from all of creation, who rose Jesus Christ from the dead to dwell within us to this day to show that to the world. What barrier do we really have? What's holding us back? Why are we muting? Next week, we'll talk about what we do to the Holy Spirit, but man, there's nothing standing in your way anymore, except for, I guess, ourselves, right? So the other point of this is that if you're made fully alive, you don't fear anything. When sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, think about what happened to our relationship and how we were dead in our transgressions. The wages of sin is death. You were created by God to live and we immediately die. But you're made fully alive alive by the blood of Jesus, and through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit that's living within you. Think about the apostles now. They didn't fear anything. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. They didn't fear anything. They're standing before what should have been their death. And they say, Peter and the apostles say, well, here's the gospel, and that's what we're doing. And guess what? Gamaliel sends them out, beats them. The other word for beating here is the the stripping of skin. 40 lashings minus one, likely. It wasn't punched in the face, beaten with some rods and told to shut up. It was beaten to where you understand if you talk about this again, more is going to happen. If you read the end of this passage, what do they do? They're released from here because it's an act of man and they walk out rejoicing. They rejoiced because they were worthy enough to suffer for the name of Jesus. Yes, we'll rejoice when people say yes to Christ. Last week, baptism, 53 people, I think it was, making that decision. Heaven rejoices. But here's the greater part. If we can learn not to be focused on the outcome of us sharing our faith, but work on the process of letting God show you who he is, to trust and to obey him. Imagine what the world would be like. And I'm gonna give you a statistic. There's a Barna research study out that says there are 2.6 billion Christians in the world. Okay, if that's true, each person needs to find four unique people. And everybody in this earth right now will have heard the gospel message and Jesus will come. Four, here's the problem. We won't reach out to one. It's, a, it's too much, I, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say, I don't know the words. Guess who gives you those words? The Holy Spirit. When you don't know the words to say, the Holy Spirit will bear witness for you. Don't know what to pray about? Guess who prays for you? When you don't know what to pray about, the Holy Spirit prays for you. You have a comforter. You have a helper. You have an advocate. You have a guide. You have the third person of God living within you to take the message and bear witness. Now, I'm not saying, yes, miracles can be performed. Yes, healings happen. But that's not the purpose of the giving of the Holy Spirit. The purpose is so everybody can know who Jesus is. James Packer gives a fantastic illustration on this. And if if you take anything away from today, I hope this helps bring it all back because I know it's a lot of information. He says, imagine the Holy Spirit is, is standing over your shoulder, And there's Jesus standing right in front of you and it's a dark room. Maybe you can hear him, but you can't see him. The Holy Spirit turns on a spotlight and shines it right at Jesus from right over your shoulder. The Holy Spirit's message to you is not focus on me and who I am and what I do. Focus on him and look to him and listen to his word, and understand that he offered you salvation, understand his sacrifice on the cross, understand that he died for you, that he died for whoever so shall believe in him and have eternal life. He did it. I bore witness to it, and now I'm within you to show you Jesus. If you want to know how to think of the Holy Spirit, he illuminates Christ in our life. You are made new by the Spirit in Christ. Remember, it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And the Holy Spirit's role is to guide you to show people and illuminate Jesus. That's incredible. Living within you, you have the ability to have God guide you right back to him. So will you please stand so I can pray for you. God, there are so many people in our lives that, don't know who you are. And we'd probably be shocked to know how many people have not heard the gospel, have not heard who you are. Lord, convict us. Send us out. Show us who. I pray that you would reveal people to us that we need to reach, that you're putting in front of us, Lord. That we would be on our knees seeking lost people because we're seeking your heart. You loved us so much that even though we were dead you offered us an eternity. Give us that focus. Lord, I pray that we can reflect on who the Holy Spirit is in our lives. And we're thankful for the advocate on our behalf. We're thankful that you comfort us, that you give us the words that you prayed that you you make known who Christ is, Lord. I pray that as we open our Bibles this week, you would illuminate those words to us, that you would shine brightly who it is we're trying to to reach. You could have sent a thousand people to our friends, Lord. I pray that we can recognize that you can use us. Give us faith, Lord. Let us trust and obey in the process. Let us always remember who you are, that you bear witness. Help us take your message to the ends of the earth. God, we love you, we worship you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.